time now. So, well, I'm going to start off in the book of Matthew. And I love this. Um, Jesus was kind of talking and the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? You know, when I was young, I always thought the Pharisees were like the bad guys. It's like funny. I watch movies at home, and if Matt or Wesley walks in in the middle of the movie, like he'll see something and he'll be like, "Is he the bad guy?" And a lot of times, I have to remind him, like, "There's no bad guys. Like, maybe this person's got a hidden agenda, but you know, like I, I hate that phrase, the bad guys. But I have to admit, when you're a kid, right? Sometimes you just narrow things down to bad guys and good guys. Have you ever done that, right? You know, you might. And then what happens is then in your early 20s, you're at a job and you look at that boss and you go, you're the bad guy. (laughs) If this was a movie, you'd be the bad guy, right? That's why like as an adult, as I've matured, I've realized like not everybody's a bad, there's not always bad guys and good guys. Sometimes there's just grumpy guys and that tomorrow there'll be a good guy, you know, but so, but as a kid, I always thought, oh, the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? Well, the Pharisees are actually people that really wanted to serve God. And they thought they were serving God the right way. But they were very religious. Now, you would think, well, I come to church every Sunday, Mary. I'm religious, right? We think that because you come to church on a regular basis, that means you're religious. And in this case, these guys, they'd go to, they'd go to the tabernacle every Sunday. They'd go to the synagogue every, well, Saturday for them. And they were very religious what they did, but that was not the definition of a relationship with God. And that's the big difference, okay? So these guys wanted to follow the rules. They were rule followers, and they wanted to have everybody else follow the rules. Sometimes, though, when you're the one in charge of which rules other people follow, you kind of bend the rules for yourself, right? And you hold other people to this other standard. So when you take the time to read through the Gospels, you really kind of get this understanding of how Jesus viewed that. And how his big thing was, is we need to love on people who are not following the rules rather than punish them or shame them or, or shun them. And so those are some of the things the Pharisees would do. And so here we go. These Pharisees didn't like Jesus' approach to the non-rule followers. And so they would try to trip him up. There was two groups of these religious people. There was Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, what's the difference? Well, they're pretty much the same thing, only they had different beliefs about the end of life. The Sadducees believed that when we die, we're dead. Our soul doesn't go on. This is it. This is the end. You only get your life here on earth. Whereas the Pharisees believe that once you die, your soul then, your spirit, goes on to heaven. And that there's spiritual things out there. There's angels, there's demons, there's spirits. And so how do you remember the difference? You can always remember that the Sadducees are sad, you see, because this is the end. Okay? So that's just a, you're getting some Bible study teaching this morning. Is that okay once in a while? You know, that's my heart. I'm... I love just to go deep, but I know we don't always have time for that. So anyway, the Sadducees had been trying to trip him up. They're asking Jesus trick questions. Now the Pharisees wanted to ask him some trick questions. And so we see here in Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to start in verse 34. She does not going to have that, but that's okay. It says, hearing that Jesus was, had silenced the Sadducees. So the Sadducees tried to trip him up first. He silenced them because he's so wise, God, right? He knows exactly what to say. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. 
So they thought, okay, well, we've got to think of something really good. He's going to say the wrong thing, and then we're going to pounce on him, right? So he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, when they say law, they don't mean like the Ten Commandments. They mean like the entire book of the law, which has over 300 laws in it. So he's going to, you know, everybody picks one, and then other people pick it apart about why there's another one that's greater. So Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on to explain to them, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All right. So Jesus is tested. They want to try to find something wrong with him. And basically he comes up with the best answer. Now he goes on to talk about this again um, in many different places, but in particular in the book of John, verse 13, um, John does a really good job of recording what happened that final night. So he just got done washing their feet. This is right before he goes to the cross in verse 34. Jesus says to them, A new commandment I g- or command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. See, he tried to tell the Pharisees and the Sadducees that all the greatest out of all those commands is love. They didn't operate out of love. They operated out of law. They operated out of Do the right thing or I'm going to punish you. So now with Jesus, he's ready to go to the cross. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to give you a new commandment, right? And it's interesting throughout some of the letters when, um, like, Paul or Peter, different ones are quoting things, and they'll say, like, you know, don't worry about all this. Just do what Jesus commands. You know, a lot of times modern-day preachers will read that and then talk about the Ten Commandments. And I'm like, have you read your Bible? Because Jesus always said the commands that you got to fall that summarize all of them is love. Do you think maybe Peter remembered that? <laughs> like, what was Jesus' command? Because Peter would have known it well enough to know, follow the laws of Moses. But he doesn't. He says, follow the law of Jesus, law singular, which is love. Love, love, love. So we see that Jesus is trying to explain to them If you just simply love people, they're going to know you're a Christ follower and not a Pharisee. Why? Because the Pharisees didn't love. He says, if you can learn how to love others as you love yourself, people will know you're my disciple. That will be the defining moment of why you are different than everyone else in the world. Now, as Americans, it's hard for us to understand our view with the entire world. But when you look at the statistics... Who do you think sends the most food outside of their own country? USA. Who do you think sends the most money and relief and help to other countries when they're in a crisis? USA, right? Who has the most social programs and helps people not only through the government but through outside agencies? USA. Like, it is um, astonishing when you look at the numbers with the whole country. And why do I point out the USA? Because the USA was the one country that was founded 
on Christian principles. We had the pilgrims come here in a search for a place to have religious freedom. And they call it Judeo-Christian values is what makes the United States different. Even with some of the stuff with the government. Um, I mean, you guys know how, like, you know, your credit score works, right? How, like, you get seven years and then, like, anything bad on your credit score falls off. So, I, I mean, I'll have people say to me, like, well, Mary, my credit's really bad. I'm like, that was 10 years ago. Go recheck it. Like, after seven years, everything resets. Did you know in the Bible there would be, like, a seven-year cycle where if you had debt out and you weren't able to pay the debt that at the end of the seven years, that some of those Judeo principles, those Christian principles, where when the founding fathers set things up, they looked here into God's word and they used those principles to help set up the government and society. And so we are different because we walk in love. And our forefathers who came before us understood those principles. But the question is, is how do we love today? You and I, right? Not the government. I mean, some that you know, you go too far away from the original and things can get twisted and corrupt. I'm not talking about today. But if we're talking about love and we're talking about today, my big question is, number one, who should we be loving? And number two, how do we love them? So the first question is, who do I love, right? Well, I, you know, you, you assume, why well, I love, you probably love your spouse, you probably love your kids, right? You probably like your in-laws and you tolerate your neighbors, right? Isn't that about it, right? <laughs> don't we say, like, I love you, but I don't like you, right? Like, I love and like my husband, I love but don't like my children, I like my, you know, I mean, come on, am I the only one that, you know, you think like, huh, do I really love everyone? Now we tease about that, but the reality is God's word says we should love everybody. I love how, you know, in one of the places it says, you should love your neighbors, you love yourself. And somebody says, well, who is my neighbor? You know, and we think it's the person living next to us. And that's True, they are our neighbors, but there's so many people beyond that. And then Jesus began to give them this example, this parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, one time there was a priest and he was walking to Jerusalem and he found a man beaten and robbed and naked laying in the road. And he went around him on the other side. He said, then there was a Levite. Who was a Levite? A really cool Christian guy who went to church every Sunday. We'll leave it at that, right? The priest was like the pastor. The Levite's like a devoted person who goes every Sunday, volunteers on a monthly basis. And he sees a man laying in the road and he's naked and he's beaten and he walks on the other side. And then he says, then there's a Samaritan. Now, who is a Samaritan? You know, culturally, that's a long conversation. But basically, the non-churchgoer, the sinner that you would think would never step foot in church, we'll call him the drug dealer. The drug dealer walks down the road and he sees a man beaten up and naked on the side of the road. And guess what he does? He goes over and checks on him. In our, in our scenario, he'd call 911. He'd stay with him till the paramedics arrived. Right? And Jesus said, who took care of the man? And, of course, the religious people couldn't even use the word Samaritan. They didn't want to, they couldn't, they couldn't say, well, the drug dealer took care of him and the Christian didn't. So they said, well, the one who cared for him took, was the neighbor. And he says, go and do likewise. So what is he saying? 
who, when, when he says, love your neighbors, you love yourself, and they're saying, well, who is my neighbor? And he's basically saying, anybody you see in need, you need to love them. But that's hard. It's hard enough to love the ones in your own house, let alone love the person you've never met. Well, what about my enemies? Like, seriously, I'm not supposed to love them, right? But how many times have I read it? And I, I mean, I could have pulled out a million scriptures for this. I already got a ton as it is for today. But where Jesus says, love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you, right? Love those who make you mad. We're supposed to love all of them. So we know who. Of course, our loved ones and our family, right? Even those that irritate us. Now, this is different than having boundaries. Now, we, a lot of times we think, well, if I love somebody, that means i got to let them into my life. Well, the Good Samaritan did not take that man that was beat on the side of the road into his home. He took him to an inn and paid somebody else to care for him. So loving somebody is not the same as enabling them or bringing them into your house or having them violate your boundaries. We're going to talk about what does love look like, okay? And number one, I want you all to know that love sometimes has boundaries, okay? So depending on the relationship with the person, you might love them by donating resources here so that way we can hand out items to help them, right? You might love them by saying a prayer for them. I love how Jesus said that. Bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He didn't say invite them over for meal, those that persecute you. He said pray for them. So there's a difference, okay? So, yes, who do we love? Our family, our friends, our enemies, our neighbors. And what does that love then look like? How do we love somebody? The number one thing we have to remember is that love is an action, Love is an action. Does anybody here, anybody old school and remember DC Talk? Oh, I see some hands. Yeah. One of the first songs when I was in middle school was Love is a Verb. And me and my friend, we'd get up on the stage and we would literally rap. And then we would like, like, I don't know if it was called hip hop. I don't know what it was at the time. But we would like jump off the stage and do like round offs and do different things. But I just remember, um, you know, words come easy but don't mean much if the words they're saying can't put trust in. But we would get up there and we would rap, and what we were talking about was love. And in the end of it would be, you know, love is a verb, right? Love is not a noun. Love is a verb. Love is an action. What kind of action are you putting behind your words? Because it's easy to say, oh, I love you, or, yep, I care for those in need. You know, how many times I talk to pastors or churches or I go meet different nonprofits and I'll say, okay, well, what are you doing? Tell me what you're doing because that's the action. It's one thing to say we care. It's another thing to do something. So number one is you have to do something. When you love, when you walk in love for others to know that you are a Christian, you have to do something. For you to start, first of all, in your home, that's what Mother Teresa said to do, didn't they? People would come to her and say, how do I save the world? How do I love the world? And she would be like, go home and love your family. You know, for some of us, that's hard. Because maybe we resent our family. Maybe we're angry at our family. Maybe we just are literally depressed, and it's hard to get out of bed and take care of our family. But guess 
who is the only person that can change what's going on in your heart? It's you, right? You've got to cry out to God. You have to have him help you, and you have to put some action behind it. We see in Philippians chapter 2, let me see if I can find it here. Didn't mark it ahead of time. I always think it's odd that Philippians is bigger than Colossians, but it is. So it's before Colossians in your Bible. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Hmm. That one's hard. Because to say I'm not going to do anything for my own selfish vanity or my own, you know, I'm going to be humble towards the others, especially if I'm going to start in my home and love those closest to me. Uh, Let's read that again. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Oh, come on, Lord. Can I do some things out of selfish ambition? Just some things. Can't I, like, pick my favorite meal that night? You know, like, that's, I know it's selfish. Maybe my daughter doesn't like it, but I want it, right? I mean, come on, let's be real. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Well, but I really want to wear this amazing dress to the wedding. I don't care if I look prettier than the bride, right? That's vain conceit, friends. Right? That day, it's not about you. It's about her. <laughs> Let's, I mean, how can we be practical with this stuff? What does it mean, vain conceit? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Well, I'm going to do this, and it's going to help me. It says, rather, in humility, value others above yourself. What does it mean to value someone? It means to love them. Right? I see value in this. Well, I don't see any value in this relationship. How can they help me? Well, guess what? Sometimes it's not about you. Maybe you need to value this other person because God needs you to be able to minister to them. Maybe they need a friend. I have so many times I talk to people, I'd be like, when's the last time you invited friends over to your house for a meal? Well, I don't have time for that. I don't need that. Maybe you don't need it, but maybe I do. So invite me over. Seriously, come on. Hello? I like chocolate cake and barbecue sliders. Who wants to invite me over for dinner, right? Seriously, like some, t- oh, Sloppy Joes. Sloppy Joes are the best. I know some couple in, in this room that makes the most amazing Sloppy Joes I've ever had in the entire world. But sometimes we literally, we think that because we don't need it or we think we don't need it that maybe other people don't need it. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble and saying maybe this isn't about me and maybe this is about somebody else and what do they need? How can I love the people in my neighborhood? How can I love the people in my family? How can I love the people at work? And number one is I had to do something, anything, but I have to do something. I can't continue saying I'm a Christian if I don't love, and love means action. Do something. Love is an action. Do something for the other person. You know, who should I love, Mary? You know what? I don't know who you should love. I mean, obviously, you need to walk in love towards everybody around you, but maybe there's somebody in particular this week God wants you to go out of your way and value above yourself, and I don't know who that person is. But God knows. Maybe God will put on your heart. I don't know. I don't know who it is. 
Here's the kicker, though. You have to do it even if you don't feel like it. That's the hard part, isn't it? Isn't it? To do something even if you don't feel like it. I am, like, really selfish in the mornings, I have to admit. My family already knows this. I'm not saying anything they don't know. I am not a morning person. I will naturally stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning. And then if I was left to my own devices, I'm up pretty much by, like, 8 or 9. I don't need more than maybe 6 or 7 hours of sleep. But, like, they're getting on the bus at 7. And it's like, oh, man, I'm not loving them in the morning. I'm not. Like, my kids are tiptoeing around, you know. Every once in a while, it's happened, I think, maybe once this year. My husband said it happened way more than once, but I think it's happened once. Where, like, somebody was kind of loud, and I did the, be quiet, I'm trying to sleep, right? Is they're trying to get up and get ready for school. Now, I thankfully don't have five-year-olds and six-year-olds that are getting ready for school, and they need mama to, like, brush their hair and help them get their teeth and get dressed. Thankfully, I have middle school and high school kids. So all of you out there watching this video that don't know me and think I'm a horrible mother, I am a horrible mother, but they love me, and I love them, and they're all pretty well-established, you know, they're doing good, and I'm not very good in the morning. Now, why do I say that? Because it's a perfect example of, like, selfish ambition and me not loving them. That's a perfect example of me saying, like, okay, maybe this week I need to get up earlier. I need to go to bed a little bit earlier and get up earlier. Not because I want to, not because I feel like it, but because I'm making a choice to love them, not just after school and on the weekends, but in the morning as well. Now, Mary, that can't really be what God was talking about, can it? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he, he'd like me to walk in love all day towards my family and not just pick and choose when it's convenient for me to love my family. You ever had somebody in your life that, you know, they kind of pick and choose? Sometimes we call it walking on eggshells. You don't know, is dad in a good mood today after work or not in a good mood, right? I don't know if I, if I say, say something to upset them or not. Why? Because they're not being consistent. See, love wants us to be consistent. Love wants us to care about the other person, regardless if we feel like it or not. Regardless if they deserve it or not. So many times we equate love with they earned my love, they've earned my respect. We get into a new job and we've got this chip on our shoulder until we know they've earned that. How about we are known as Christians because we walk in love and it's unconditional love like what Christ gave us. That's hard, isn't it? Well, I'm going to love this kid more than this kid because this kid, right, has earned it. No, that's not what unconditional love is. Unconditional love means there's no conditions for it. It means I love you even if you don't deserve it. That's hard, isn't it? But isn't that why Jesus said to love and bless and pray for our enemies? Did our enemies earn that? No. There's no conditions for Christianity, is there? We walk in love. I thought this was really interesting. I'm kind of a history buff. I like, I like history. Um, and I was doing, watching some documentaries about the Vikings. Don't ask why. I don't know why. just was. And the documentary, I felt, was just lacking. Like, it was really visually cool, you know. But I'm like, 
I had all these questions about the Vikings, so I began to do some more research. So I was going online, not that that's the greatest source, but I'm not going to Norway to look up things in their library, so I'm looking online. And you know what was really interesting? You know what turned the Vikings? If you're not familiar, um, Vikings were actually just Northmen who would go a Viking. It was an action word, which means they would get into their boats, they would travel to a different area, they would pillage the town, take all the wealth, rape all the women, kill all the men, take the children to be their slaves, put them back in their boat, and go back to the north area. So when the Vikings came, it was bad news. And they would hit village. You never knew when they were going to come. They would just hit village and village in different areas, usually near the sea. And when Christianity spread across Europe, all the leaders decided the only way they were going to ever stop the Viking problem was if they knew Christ. They literally, can you imagine all the world leaders coming together and saying, we got a problem with these people over here. Let's go send the missionaries in. If they know Jesus, then they won't want to kill us anymore. They won't want to rape us anymore. They won't want to steal from us anymore. But that's what they did. That's what they did in the, you know, 900s, 1100s, 1200s. And that is the only way that the Viking problem ever ended because they went in and they began telling them about Jesus and about unconditional love and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And gradually, as more and more of the clans accepted Christ, they stopped pillaging the lands. And that's when the Vikings stopped doing what they were doing was because of Jesus. I just find that so amazing. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. I don't care if you feel like it or not. It's not about falling in love. What you're feeling when you get into a new relationship those first two years, you've fallen into lust. And it's great that you feel that way. You want to connect with somebody and feel passion. But let's be real. It's not love. That's lust. Love is an action. Love is a decision. Love is that commitment you make when you get married and you say, for better or for worse, I will be here for you. We just forget that the worst might be when the other person's screaming at us saying you hate them, right? Or they hate you. The worst might be when you don't feel like you love them anymore. You don't feel that passion. You don't feel that lust anymore. But you still made a commitment to that person and to that relationship. So number one, you have to do something because love is action. It's not a feeling. Number two, you have to give something of yourself to love somebody else. See, the good Samaritan, when he found the man on the side of the road, he had to give some of his oil. He had to give some of his time. He had to give some of his treasure. He had to put him up on his mule. He had to walk for a while. He had to get him to an inn. He had to give the innkeeper some money to take care of him. He had to give of himself to love on this guy, to love his neighbors himself. He had to use some of his resources. He had to reuse some of his time. And we don't, we don't want to do, do that all the time, do we? I don't want to give up my morning time for my kids, do I? But in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, well, in verse 12, it says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. I love this passage. You guys, there's so many verses about love, about loving each other, about how to love. We just don't always think about it or talk about it. We don't get practical. We don't say, like, how do I love, you know, my coworker who's just been in donkey's butt? I mean, seriously, who's just, like, been treating me like crap. Well, you bless them. You pray for them. 
you choose to give to them even though you don't feel like it. Now, maybe you don't invite them over to your house, right? Now, you know, maybe you have to, like, drive away at your lunch hour to get away from the person so you can pray and get yourself in a better space. Again, you still can use boundaries. But what can you do? What can you give to help this person? Sometimes that's hard. We don't know where to even start. we got to think about it, right? Well, maybe this person never has a lunch. Well, can you bring two lunches and offer them a sandwich? Well, they're just going to take it and throw it in the trash. Okay, do it anyway. I one time had a coworker that I could just tell didn't like me. And so, you know, I went to my boss and I said, well, the Bible says go to that person. I'm like, okay. So I made an appointment to go to this person and I had stopped at the bakery beforehand. Not like, you know, Kroger's bakery, but like a gourmet bakery and got this really nice chocolate, whatever, special brownie. And I brought it to him. They had it on a little doily. Oh, I got you a brownie. Oh, thanks. They took it and they threw it in the trash. And they said, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, okay. But guess what? I don't feel bad that I offered him a brownie. I know before God, I did what I was supposed to do. I tried to offer that person love. And guess what? In that situation, as much as I try to love this person and continue to pray for this person, eventually they've ended up getting, you know, let go because he wouldn't be able to get along with anybody. And I haven't seen him again. Does that mean that my efforts were gone in vain? That I, you know, I tried to love somebody and nothing happened? No. I believe that what the experience this person had in this job, they knew that the Christian loved them and cared for them, even though he'd been treating me bad. It's not about the outcome. It's not about your name being great because you did these things. It's about expressing God's love, even if the other person doesn't deserve it. So we have to do something, love is an action. We have to give something of ourselves because you can't love somebody, you can't exp- you know, express an action without having to do something. And a lot of times that's giving. It can be your time, your treasure, your talents. Um, sometimes it's sitting with the person, talking to the person, communicating, um, you know, inviting them over to play games, going out for coffee. I always find like a long car ride, <laughs> you're stuck with me now. Usually, I, you know, it's so funny. I remember this other place I worked, this young, there's these young people that were there. And, you know, I'm not a young person anymore. I wasn't a young person then. And they had this perception of me. And we ended up going on this long car ride. And I ended up with one of the young people in the car with me. And at the end of the car ride, I remember the person saying to me, boy, I'm really glad we got to spend this time together. It totally changed my perspective of you. But see... My perspective would have meant nothing if I would have treated them like crap when they first started the job and I could tell that they thought I was the old lady, right, the mom. But instead, all I did was ever offer them love. And so then the one day we had that opportunity to spend time together, all of a sudden, all those good blessings that I had done, bringing in the cookies or being nice and polite even when they were laughing about me behind my back, doing all those right things, all of a sudden the relationship shifted. So you have to give. You have to do something for yourself. Now, the third point I want to bring up is probably going to be the hardest. Can everyone brace themselves? Hold on. It's going to be a bumpy ride. The third point, and how do I actually love the people around me, is forgive. You know what forgiveness is, right? Right? We know what God's word says. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, it says, I hope I'm in Mark chapter 6. We don't want that. It's talking about Herod. 
Um, that's my first uh, notice that I was in the wrong place. It says Herod. I'm like, I'm not talking about Herod today. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Oh, that one sucks. Am I allowed to say sucks in church? I don't know, but that one's stinky. P-U. You're not going to forgive me unless I forgive others. See, what I think is the most interesting thing is the most powerful things that God has ever given us are the things that Satan attacks the most, and he tries to twist them. Right? Sex and marriage is amazing. So how does Satan twist it? Sex outside of marriage or perverts it. Right? Or causes us to be drawn, if it's not good enough in our marriage, to, to have an affair, to be drawn to somebody else. See, it's all a bait and switch. It, it's never that great. You know, you go and you do that, and then you realize, like, oh, there's these consequences, these things that happen because of that, and it's never good. So how does Satan do a bait and switch with forgiveness? Well, he manipulates what the word means to us. So we think that it means something more than what it actually is. We, the devil convinces us, well, if you forgive that person, you're saying it's okay of what they did to you. I've had, these are things that people have said to me in my office, right? Well, Mary, but if I forgive that person, that means I've got to invite them over for Thanksgiving dinner. Well, but Mary, if I forgive, then this is what it means. 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 And they have all these different definitions that Satan has tried to twist and put in your head of what forgiveness means. And if I can believe a false narrative of forgiveness, then I can justify why I don't forgive. Well, I don't want to invite them over to my house for Thanksgiving, so I can't forgive them. Well, I don't want to go have a conversation with them, and if I forgive them, I have to go talk to them again, so I won't forgive them. Well, if I forgive them, that means everything is okay and what they did didn't hurt me, and it did hurt me, so I'm not going to forgive them. But see, that's all twisting from Satan, and it's not what it actually means. Forgiveness simply means that I'm no longer going to feel like I have to punish you for what you did to me. That doesn't mean I'm not hurt by what you did to me. That doesn't mean I'm not going to put up a boundary because of what you did to me. That doesn't mean I'm never going to trust you again because of what you did to me. It simply means forgiveness is literally just means that I forgive the debt that I now feel against me because of what you did. It goes back to the original Jewish laws where you kill my goat, you have to repay me a goat. When I forgive you, it means you killed my goat, but I forgive you, you don't have to give me back a goat. You don't have to pay back the debt of what you took from me. That's literally what forgiveness means. We've got to remember the audience of who they were talking to, Jewish people, where their law and how their traditions were was eye for an eye. You poke out my eye, I get to poke out your eye. You sin against me, I get to be paid back the same amount for my trouble. And when you forgive the person, it means, okay, you poked me in the eye, I'm not going to poke you in the eye back. I'm not going to make you pay back to me what you did to me. That's all it means. It doesn't have anything to do with trust. It doesn't have anything to do with Thanksgiving dinner. It doesn't have anything to do with any of those things, talking to you again. It just simply means that the vengeance in my heart that wants you to pay for what you did is I'm going to choose to not demand that from you. I'm going to forgive you. 
So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, like, look, if you can forgive the people around you and not demand back the vengeance for what they did to you, to pay back what they did to you, then when you go before Father God and you say, hey, Father God, I sinned against you. I never tithed a day in my life. You know, I owe you a million dollars. He's going to be like, I forgive you. You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to be punished because of what you did or didn't do. You know, and he's going to totally forgive us. He's going to look down at us when we sin, right? When we say, oh, well, I, I cheated against my wife and I caused this problem and then, I, and then I did this at work and I got fired and, and I did all this. And he's going to be like, wow, I'm sorry that you had to live with those consequences on earth, right? I gave you those laws so you would know. And you, you had to live with the pain of that. But you forgave other people and I'm going to forgive you. So how do we love the people around us? How do we love the people who've hurt us? How do we love our enemies? We have to do something, whether it's praying, whether it's buying them a cupcake, whether it's, you know, getting up early to be there with them, to be able to sit and have coffee with them. That's, we're putting action behind it. We have to give something of ourselves to that other person, and we have to be able to forgive them. And that's hard. It's really hard. What is love? I mean, we know this. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've never read through it, you know, definitely read through it. Briefly, it's, he says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You can be the most amazing Christian in the world and gain nothing if you can't walk in love to those around you. That's powerful. That's hard. Love is patient. Love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. But they, but they, but they, but they did this. I know, I'm sorry, but love keeps no record of wrongs. Keep your boundaries up. But let's not keep our dwelling, our thoughts on what they did, because otherwise that just traps your mind in torment, doesn't it? It always protects. It says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm going to end here in Romans chapter 13, as I'm, and then I'm going to pray for all of you, because loving people, especially if they don't deserve it and you don't feel like it, it's hard. But being a Christian means you love them even if they don't deserve it, and even if you don't feel like it, and you love even if it's hard. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding. Oh, I like that. Pay your, pay your bills. That's what it says. Let no debt remain outstanding. Pay your bills. Um, let no debt remain outstanding except, oh, there's one bill that we can keep paying. We can leave out the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Or sometimes I get so many people come into my office. Is this a sin? Is this a sin? Is this a sin? I'm like, first of all, are you Jewish? That's where we'll start. Because, you know, the law was given to the Jews. Second of all, like, let's look here in the Acts of how the Gentiles were told to be saved. Love Jesus. No Jesus. Nowhere else, when they ask which laws do we follow, they said, you don't, you're not Jewish. Let's get that out of the way. 
But if you want to follow some sort of law, if you want to know what is sin and not sin, then let's just simply go with what Jesus commanded us since as Christians we're followers of Christ. We're not Jewish and followers of Moses and his law. We're followers of Christ and his law. And his law is to love. So if you want to know if you're a sinner or not, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you love everyone unselfishly all the time? If you're like me, the answer is nope. Nope, I don't. But I'm trying. I'm trying every day to love everyone as I love myself. I'm trying. Are you trying? I hope you're trying. Sometimes we have to remember to try a little harder, though, don't we? Let's try a little harder this week. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. It's real simple. Just love. Father God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and I thank you for this message from your word and this reminder that Jesus told us that the greatest commandment or the new commandment that he gives us is to love, to love those around us. It's hard. It's hard to love when we don't feel like it. It's, it's hard to fulfill the commitments that we made for better or for worse. It's, it's hard sometimes to love our enemy and to bless those who persecute us and to pray for those who have caused us so much heartache and pain. It's hard when Satan twists in our head the difference between having boundaries and loving. It's hard to love. But you told us to do it. So help. Help us walk in love this week. Help us to do a little bit better. Help us. Help us. We ask you for your help. In the name of Jesus, we pray. For all those who need help this week to love a little better, say amen. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. The Blessing Shop is open. There are flyers in the back about the rooftop survivor. If you know anybody that's interested, please give them a flyer. Thank you all. God bless.